0: Hello and a warm welcome to all of you that are here with us today on Zoom, Facebook and on other digital platforms to meditate on Goodwill. For those of you joining us for the first time, the Goodwill Meditation webinar is open to all and it takes place on the last Wednesday of every month at 5 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time 6 p.m. Central European Time and 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. The Goodwill Meditation Group members aim to meditate at least once each week. We try to synchronize and link in meditation at 12 o'clock noon, our local time, on Wednesdays. However, this work is effective whenever and as often as the individual chooses. You may find the Goodwill Meditation formula on our website, which you will see um, on your screens in a second. And you can click on Goodwill Meditation webinar and then on Meditation on Goodwill. Before we proceed, let us take a moment to gather our thoughts and say together the mantra of the new group of world servers that you will see on your screen. The new group of world servers is a name that characterizes a group of people who are to be found in every country and in every field of human endeavor, and who are distinguished and subjectively linked by their efforts to alleviate the problems of humanity and human suffering,
1: and also the problems of the planet. May the power of the one life
0: pour through the group of all true servers. May the love of the one soul, characterize the lives of all who seek to aid the great ones. May we fulfill our part in the one work through self-forgetfulness,
1: harmlessness, and right speech. The theme of today's meeting is, One in God,
0: The Unifying Potential of Interreligious Dialogue. And it comes at a time when, indeed, positive and beneficial cooperation and unity based on our shared humanity and abode on this planet is sorely needed to upset the banding together in fear or opposition so widespread in this era of high individualization and conflicting gains. Today, we have the honor of hosting an experienced worker in the field of interreligious dialogue, Reverend Chris Hudson, who will talk to us and take questions after the goodwill meditation. Chris Hudson, is Minister of All Souls Church in Belfast and moderator of the non-subscribing Church of Ireland. He believes that sadly the liberal, the liberal Christian message is not heard over the strident rigid Orthodox views. He is convinced there is a space for liberal religions to be lobbying on social issues, such as the LGBTQ rights and taking a revivalist approach to non-doctrinal, non creedal religious commitment. Before becoming a Unitarian minister, Chris worked as a trade union official for 18 years and had a keen interest in issues related to the developing world. He has traveled to India, Pakistan, Brazil, and Central America, and he was a trustee for Oxfam Great Britain and Honorary Chair of Oxfam Ireland. During the recent conflict in Northern Ireland, he led the organization, The Peace Train, and was in direct discussion between loyalist paramilitaries and the Irish government in Dublin. For for his work with the trade union movement, Oxfam, The Peace Train and the Anti-Apartheid Movement, he received an award from the Lord Mayor of Dublin, and was included in the honours list by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. He is still involved in conflict resolution with paramilitaries and in the campaign for civil partnership in the Irish Republic, and is known for his campaigning on behalf of LGBTQ rights in Northern Ireland. Chris Hudson believes there is a common bond between liberals of all faiths. And we should build stronger links to counter fundamentalism. He is the Irish representative for the International Association of Religious Freedom and a member of the Social Forum of the CTBI, Churches Together in Britain and Ireland. Chris, if you would like to say hi, I would like to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. And this short bio can hardly do justice to the important work you have been doing. But we are all looking forward to hearing from you after our meditation.
2: Thank you very much, Evangelia. And uh, yes, I'd like to say hello to all the people who are gathered here uh, this evening and say a little bit about my work. and. Um, Thank you very much for the very kind introduction. I was wondering who you were talking about for a while. (laughs) But however, let me just say uh, a little bit about my church. My church is part of the Presbyterian family of churches, and I'm a Unitarian minister. But we are very much the liberal wing of Presbyterianism. So our church is open to... All souls, anyone who wants to come into our church, and when we say that, we don't have a hidden agenda. We don't need. We don't have any qualifying criteria. And now the church is modestly successful. We've a good building, congregation, and recently we've seen many young people from Iran and from African countries like Uganda and Namibia and Zimbabwe who have joined us, people who have recently, in the last few years, arrived in Northern Ireland. And they're very welcome to be part of our congregation. And they, they play a, a significant role in our congregation. Um, we always say, we are blessed with their arrival. Uh, they have brought their blessings into our space. Uh, And as you said, um, we have been very supportive of people in the LGBT community. And every year, uh, the Pride, the official Pride religious service takes place in our church uh, in August. And we have a special, it's a special communion service where we, people of all different faiths can come forward and receive communion. And also, maybe people with no faith can come forward and light a candle, because we do have people who are humanist, agnostic, maybe even atheist, who attend that service and like to light a candle. And then also at Christmas time, we have a very special service for the LGBT community. It is a traditional Christian carol service, which is very beautiful. Where we sing the traditional carols, Christmas carols, and we read the traditional scriptural texts celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say that, it's interesting that we have members in our community who are from a Jewish background who attend because they like singing in our choir and they like the atmosphere. So it's interesting with people who come to our church on a Sunday and on Shabbat, they go to the synagogue. And we also have some people from Catholic background who attend, who may go to Catholic mass and yet come to us as well. We we played a significant role in the um bringing about the marriage equality in Northern Ireland because my church and a few other religious groupings, we lobbied the the House of Commons and we lobbied various um, MPs who were sympathetic to the fact that although there was equal marriage throughout the United Kingdom, we still didn't have it in Northern Ireland. And MPs like Conor McGinn, from Liverpool and Stella Creasy from North London were very helpful in our campaign. And now we have marriage equality in Northern Ireland and I perform many marriage ceremonies for same sex couples uh, in the church. And it's always a wonderful occasion. And, you know, when we brought marriage equality in, the world didn't fall apart where some people thought, oh, this is terrible. All our lives will be ruined. In a matter of fact, our lives were enhanced by such a development. And so we have a very close working relationship with the LGBT community. And indeed my assistant minister in all souls, Reverend Alistair Bell, is a young gay man uh, with a partner and one other young man who Uh, worked with me to become a minister, Uh, Reverend Stephen Rayne Adair, is married to his husband, Philip, and they have a lovely church in a rural part of Northern Ireland, a very busy church where the local people have fully supported them. So when people talk about Ireland or Northern Ireland, sometimes we have an image abroad of being extremely conservative, but we're not. We, we are very socially inclusive in many ways, but there is a conservatism in sometimes in the way we worship. We still respect the traditional service, the traditional way of singing hymns and praying. And I know, um, Evangelia, when you were talking about my view of, of Orthodox churches, yes, in the public forum, I debate with them on a whole range of issues. But I always make the point of saying that I want them to make space for my congregation, for my ministry. But I don't want to disturb their ministry, whether they are Jewish rabbis, Islamic imams or other Christian ministers who may hold socially conservative views as a liberal as somebody who describes himself as inclusive, I will equally defend their right to their religious point of view and for them to to express their religion in the way uh, that they seem fit. I'm very careful as a liberal not to become an ill liberal liberal, which can happen. Sometimes we can suffer from what I call liberal intolerance, where we only hear the people's voices who who repeat back to us the things that we reflect or we agree with, but we don't hear the voices of more socially conservative people. And we, we call them names. Now you will never convince anyone to change by calling them names. It doesn't work, believe me. And I can tell you that from my own experience, in conflict resolution in Northern Ireland. Uh, And I know you mentioned about that, and I'll say a little bit about that. In the early 90s, when the conflict in Northern Ireland was at its highest, I got involved uh, in discussions with loyalist paramilitaries, what other people would call terrorists. And in those discussions, I had secret meetings with them where I traveled to meet with their leadership and over a period of time I managed to work with them and bring them in from the cold into the center of politics and to eventually get them to call a ceasefire because the IRA called a ceasefire and then I helped with these people to call a ceasefire and eventually to give up their weapons, to commission their weapons. Now, what I found in these people, first of all, was a longing to move away from conflict, but they didn't know how to do it. And what we've always remember about conflict, it's actually easier to start a war or start a conflict than it is to end it, because people get so rigid, in their positions, and also so fearful of losing that to convince them to come out of their trenches and enter into that space where we can have discussion is very important. But I'm a very realistic person. I don't believe, I don't believe, I wish, but I don't believe that our starting point that our starting point is always one of peace and harmony. Sometimes we have to position ourselves that our starting point, our default position, can be aggression, it can be war, it can be conflict. And maybe sometimes when we look at it that way, where you're starting from a very basic point of view in order to bring around the end of conflict, rather than seeing that everybody subscribes to a peaceful road or a harmonious road. You might have to look at sometimes starting from a point that conflict is the reality, and that is the the norm of a particular society. And in Ireland, we've had many years and different periods of conflict, and we hope now we've passed the last one but we had to be realistic and continue to be realistic that although people like myself work with people of all different faiths and we have services together and we pray together and we uh, we hold discussions together and we discuss theology together, we discuss our beliefs together. We are realistic enough to know that in Northern Ireland, we still live in a divided society and that society is only nominally divided by the sense of religion that people have really that's the secondary one the first thing is is identity that most people feel british but a large section of northern ireland society see their first identity as singularly irish and that it means we have two people with different national national outlooks as to who they are occupying the same space and that we've to try and arbitrate that we continue and continue to develop normal society. Thankfully, that is going well and is continuing to go well. And I, 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 I want to take questions, so I'm not going to go on too long. And I'm going to finish up with this. You
0: have time to go on. <laughs> for okay. for
2: bit longer, and
0: also to take questions, don't worry, we okay. we're
2: time. Well, I wanted to say a little bit about this. You know, when sometimes people reflect on, on Northern Ireland, they see it as a, a religious dispute, and people of different faiths, Catholic and Protestant, in conflict with each other. And what sometimes is not seen are the wonderful people from religious backgrounds from so many conservative religious backgrounds who have worked diligently and courageously to bring around peace in Northern Ireland. People from Catholic priests, um, Presbyterian Church of Ireland, ministers, and, and women from, the women have been at the centre of this, women of faith who have come together and in the early stage of the conflict organise mass rallies where thousands of women took to the streets calling for an end to the violence and i think at times those people don't get the credit that they are due Uh, when we look at peaceful solutions we always think of the political leaders who brought it around but the political leaders can only put the icing on the cake It is the people on the ground the people in the communities who actually have done most of the work to create peace in Northern Ireland. And I think that that can be the same in many other uh, locations. I know <clears throat> many of my, the people I have worked with in Northern Ireland, one of my colleagues was involved with the uh, in the Basque land in Spain, and he had work to bring around the uh, decommissioning of weapons from ETA, Etta were the um, paramilitary organization, and he worked to get them to give up their weapons. And that was a man that I had worked with who was from the Methodist Church in Northern Ireland. I I have friends from different faith backgrounds who've only recently returned from Israel and Palestine, where they met with people from both the Israeli community, the Jewish community, and went into the... uh, Palestinian Authority Community, Ramallah and Jericho, to meet with people who are Palestinian, and to see in any way, can we help each other? Are there any lessons from Ireland that might be helpful to them? Now, we're we're not arrogant. We don't think we found the absolute solution. So we don't run around the world telling everybody how to make peace. But if there's anything we have done that can help, uh, we're happy to do that. Only today, I've just come from a meeting and it's a meeting from a a group called Resolve, which is a restorative justice program. And Mm -hmm. this is a program with people from paramilitary background who are now working with the police to recreate a program in communities so that young people who get in trouble uh, actually, they don't end up in a police car, but we try to keep them away from trouble and have a, a, a position between uh, us, the community <clears throat> and the police. And that works very, very well. It, it was some of our, our learning of that came from South Africa after the collapse of apartheid, when some of our people went out to look at the restorative justice programs in South Africa. And many people from different religious backgrounds work on those programs as well. So I'm going to leave it at that because I'm really, I really want to hear some questions.
0: Sure, sure. So if uh, anyone from the group has a question for Chris, please put up your hand so that we can see you and um, ask you to unmute yourself um you can do that by going to reactions on your zoom menu and uh pressing raise hand but um until somebody comes forward you, we don't have anything yet um what i would like to ask what i'm here what i heard from what you were saying is that in conflict resolution um from the point of view, let's say, of um, interfaith intervention, there is also a know-how to be found. So there is, um, let's say, a body of knowledge, some experience that is shared between nations because you've mentioned the apartheid movement in South Africa, you've mentioned conflict in Palestine, you've mentioned the the Basque situation in Spain, and of course, Ireland. is this, is this true? I mean, is there, a, let's say, a know-how? Are there some principles that um, are, can be applied in conflict resolutions that you mentioned that might also be applied in everyday conflict?
2: Yeah, I, I, there, there isn't a template that fits every conflict, uh, and every conflict is not analysed in the same way. And you always have to respect the integrity and the difference of each conflict. But there are similarities in Northern Ireland and with Palestine and Israel. There are some similarities in the the way that, they say, the people in Northern Ireland who are British feel that that they're under siege, uh, at least they did during the conflict, that they were going to be betrayed by the United Kingdom government and that they would be left on their own. And sometimes when you talk to people in Israel, there's a, simi- there's a similarity there because we're all aware of the terrible suffering of the Jewish people, particularly with the Holocaust and even before and after that and even the fact that we still have some anti-Semitism today, that Jewish people in Israel have that fear that they will be overrun. But then because of that, Palestinian people feel they are always going to live in occupation, and they're longing for the day when they uh, will have their own jurisdiction, their own country, their own laws. So there are similarities there in the Irish situation and, and Israel and Palestine, and we can talk around those. But as I said, we wouldn't be arrogant to say, Our solution will work there. We have to respect how those people feel about uh, the the issues that they come up against and the difficulties, particularly probably for the Palestinian people, uh, because some of them live very desperate lives because of part of the occupation. And equally, the Jewish people who feel fearful that they are surrounded by their enemies and that Some of their enemies want to destroy the state of Israel. And that's very important because that's the way British people in Northern Ireland felt, that their enemies were Irish nationalism and Irish nationalism wanted to destroy Northern Ireland. I I was unique in that debate because I actually don't come from Northern Ireland. I come from Dublin in the Republic of Ireland and my family were involved in the Irish uh, independence struggle. So it was unusual for me to be trusted by loyalist paramilitaries who saw themselves as British. But I built up trust with them and they Mm -hmm. trusted me. And I was able to tell them what my people were thinking. So we could debate that way. I was able to give them insights into my people. That would make them understand what the other side were thinking. And that was helpful. Okay,
0: thank you. We have a question. Um, we have a raised hand. So Bob Monica, if you would like to unmute yourself.
3: Yeah, hi. Uh, yes. And thank you. Um, in regards to Christianity, organized Bible Christianity, just to pull one verse out, Matthew 27, 25, then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. I mean, that's the Bible. And you can preach whatever you want and more power to you, but religion, organized religion is one of the great dividers of of humankind. Uh, And uh, Christianity, um, if you you go with the straight Bible, then uh, Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He's the son of God. He was born of a virgin. Uh, if you water that down, uh, then Jesus just becomes another teacher. How do you relate to that?
2: Well, uh, maybe I'm maybe unlike me, Bob, you might be uh, a great theological scholar in Aramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. I'm not. Uh, so the only language I read the Bible in is English, and sometimes because I have a little bit of Gaelic, which is the Irish language? I can read some of the texts in that. So that is how I, um, how I understand the Bible. I also uh, believe that you can you can see culture and culture working in a particular age at a particular time. So I don't I don't live in the Middle East two thousand years ago. I live today, and I when I read the Bible and when I read text, I see how it speaks to me and what matters to me and how I understand the message of the Nazarene and what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus himself never wrote anything down. It's everybody else that wrote down what they believe he said. And, you know, like all good correspondents they might have got something wrong in the telling. However, what is matters to me is the essence of what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. Because we could have a big debate all day tr- playing tennis with scriptural texts, discussing the historic Jesus or the religious Jesus or the spiritual Jesus, or even as some people who come to my church still say, Rabbi Jesus.
3: Uh, If I might be so bold, I mean, have at it, um, do what you want with it. Uh, But there is a big slice of uh, organized religion that, let's call it, uses the phrase inscripturated. So whether J.C. said it or not, it's in the Mm -hmm. Bible. Uh, And I hear this line from people. So like I say, have at it, uh, but understand that the Bible was used to justify the Inquisition. And I'll let okay. it go at that. Have a nice day and thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. But we need to just uh, have one uh, question from its participant. So um, there's been something on the, in the chat, Chris. So Jeannie um, D'Angeli says, with two opposing sides, what initial steps do you take to establish common ground?
2: That's a very good question. What we had to... Uh, what we had to, what we had to agree was, both sides were seeking peace, and um, a number of Catholic priests had indicated to the Dublin government, in particular, that senior members of the IRA, the Irish paramilitary organisation, had indicated to them that they wanted the war to end. So the British government sent in a senior civil servant quietly to talk to them, uh, facilitated by these priests. And I knew that. And then so did the, the paramilitaries on the British side. They knew it, but they were fearful about where it was going. So when they contacted me and trusted me as a conduit, I was able to convince them that neither the Irish or British government were trying to do a secret deal with the IRA. I was able to convince them of that, and I trusted what the Irish government minister said to me. So I built up a lot of trust with them, and I even was able to tell them at times certain things that the Irish government would say. And they would hear this maybe in a a government minister speaking on television and they would hear the words that I told them were going to be said. Then I took some words that they said, and I gave them to government ministers to repeat. So they heard their own language back to them, and that made them feel more secure. They knew that they were being listened to, and they were being taken seriously. And the Irish prime minister, at one stage, when he was speaking in America... To the American Congress, he said words that I gave to him to speak, which these people knew were going to be in his speech. And that's how we built up trust and we built up a common bond and we built up a process, not of fully negotiating, but negotiating on a low level, getting things, moving things on all the time.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Thank you. Um Maya Costley, would you like to unmute yourself to ask your question?
4: Hi, Maya. Hello. Sorry, hello. Hello, um, Maya. Well, Christopher, I think you're you're a great um uh, what we, an advertisement for what you've been talking about just in the short time you've been on this presentation. Um you know, just demonstrating that you're willing to listen to different points of view and that you want people to be heard, everything that's been sort of said about you and the work you've been doing and the way you do it. I'm I'm very curious, similar to Evangelia, was this something that you just naturally came about through your own sort of introspection and meditation? Did you do any training, any particular schools of thought about um, conflict resolution, because it seems like you just have a level of skill and sensitivity and awareness and desire to have people heard and, and understand each other that's really exceptional.
2: Uh, thank you for that, Maya. Um, well, I've got to try and reflect on that. When I was a young person growing up in Dublin, I would have contributed to my father's narrative of Irish nationalism and the Irish fight for independence. And we were all brought up in that tradition. And I would have accepted that. And it wasn't until as a young person, I went to London and I made friends with people in London and listened to other people tell a different story about their own experiences. But as a young person, I have to admit, I wasn't terribly tolerant of other people's point of view, and at times I felt that if you shout louder, you'll be heard. But of course, as we know, shouting loud doesn't any achieve anything. And when I went in, when I got involved as a, in the trade union movement, I got very involved in negotiations, representing people at tribunals at. Um, unfair dismissal cases, in the in the Labour Court, wage agreements. And one of the things there, Maya, it's actually not of any value going into any tribunal or any third party and shouting and think you'll get something by shouting. You've got to go in with all your facts um, underpinned. Uh, you've got to go in with all the best information and you have to make your case rigidly and rigorously so that was a great learning process for me because it in some ways it worked against my own character which was one of uh, sort of a bit blustery and 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 uh, I, I remember as a young man I go back again when I was a young man I took up boxing because um boxing helped me to learn the discipline of getting into a ring with someone else and knowing you have to control your temper, you have to control your physique. And that was an interesting training. I'm not suggesting anybody, everyone should take up boxing, uh, but I enjoyed it, I have to say. But those things helped me learn about um, discipline, mental discipline, and, and being able then... To listen carefully to the other person's point of view, not necessarily accepting it, but being able to listen to it and being able to hear when people are speaking and an opening that may be a point of agreement. And that's a very difficult thing. I was never, always, it took me a long time to learn that, to learn when people were speaking to me in openness and I was missing it because I was all ready to present my argument that it took me years to learn and think, I think they've said something that agrees with me there
1: and to be able to connect with that.
0: That's incredible. Um, that's a very, very difficult. Um, you, have, you have expressed it very clearly, but I think what you said to be to have that attitude of openness in order to see the opening that the other person is offering you. I need to work on that. Um, (laughs) So if there aren't uh, any other questions for Chris, um, we could um, move to our meditation. So this is your time if you would like to ask Chris anything else. Well, it appears the floor is silent. We have a, we have some comments on the chat. So Santana and Matt says, it seems that all conflict resolution and resolutions of any war all require dialogue because without any real dialogue, there can never be peace among those with disagreements. And then we have Sam Jones saying, our belief about our own self-discipline, not a dictatorship to impose on others. Yes, very much so. Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for being here today and for sharing your experience and your thoughts on the issue of conflict resolution with us. God knows it's a very difficult work Again, thank you for taking the time from... Thank Gretchen- you.
2: To- thank you, Evangelia. And God bless you all. Thank you very much.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Bye. So we will take a moment to gather ourselves before we move into meditation. I'm going to switch off my camera and I will
1: restart after the meditation to bid you a good evening. Goodwill meditation. Link
0: up in thought with all those people throughout the world
1: who are working with this goodwill meditation group. Reflect upon the fact of relationship. You are related to your family, to your community, to your nation, to the world of nations, to the one humanity made up of all races and nations. Use the mantra of unification.
0: The souls of all are one and I am one with them. I seek to love, not hate. I seek to serve and not exact due service. I seek to heal, not hurt. Let inner union demonstrate and outer cleavages be gone. Let
1: love prevail. Let all people love. Reflect upon your own
0: and humanity's relationship with all beings who dwell in the
1: higher realms of mind and heart. Imagine that you are standing together
0: within the center of the spiritual hierarchy, immersed in the consciousness of the heart of love. For some, this heart of love is known as the Christ. Other faiths have other names for the one at the center, such as Maitreya, the Imam
1: Mahdi, and the Kalki Avatar. Maintaining that high point of contact, let your thoughts
0: reach out to include all members of the human family
1: in whom the energy of goodwill is active. and throughout the world. Visualize the energy of love flowing from the
0: hierarchy through the people of goodwill and into into the hearts and minds of all people, infusing them with
1: goodwill and creating loving and harmonious human relationships. Meditate on ways of spreading goodwill, creating right human
0: relationships and restoring peace on earth. Realize that you are helping to build a channel between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity through which the energy of goodwill may flow, uniting humanity, solving its problems
1: and healing all cleavages. Linked in thought with men and women of goodwill all over the world,
0: say the Great Invocation. Say it with deliberation and full commitment to its meaning, knowing that you're radiating its potent energies to humanity. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds.
1: Oh mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for joining us today
0: to meditate together, to facilitate the flow of goodwill throughout the planet. I wish that you have a nice evening, and I wish that we all
1: keep more peace in our hearts. Thank you.